My name is uh, Pastor Trevor Sutton, and there's my contact information. You can connect with me on Twitter. Uh, shoot me an email. Feel free to catch me after this is done. I would love to hear your story, uh, hear about what uh, cool things are going on in your life. Answer any questions you have. Uh, you can throw tomatoes at me if this is boring. Whatever you want to do, it's good by me. So uh, there's my contact information. And like you heard, uh, I'm a pastor, a pastor in Lansing, Michigan. Anybody? Michigan? Wow. Sweet. Awesome. So we come with our own map, and uh, I'm right about there, the center part of the state. I've been at my congregation for seven years, and we have two campuses. Uh, one campus is downtown Lansing, right in the heart of the city, and then the other campus is uh, on the suburbs, and uh, it's an awesome place to do ministry. We're in the shadows of Michigan State University, and uh, that really has an influence on our ministry that we do there, because we have students and grad students and faculty and staff, and uh, it's just kind of the air we breathe as a college town. So that's sort of where I'm coming from, and uh, that, that sort of thing. I'm also an author. I've written several books for Concordia Publishing House. My most recent book uh, goes by this very same title, Clearly Christian. So if, as we're doing this session, if you say, hey, I'm kind of interested in this stuff, and I'd like to go deeper and learn a little bit more, you can pick up that book. We're going to talk about just a sliver of the things that are covered in that book. So if you're interested, let me encourage you, pick up that book, and you can go deeper, learn more that sort of stuff. Uh, I will be at the Concordia Publishing House booth right after this. Uh, so I'm heading right from here down to there and I'll be signing books and all that. So if you do want to pick up a book, feel free to uh, do that and I'd sign it for you and it will decrease the value of the book immediately. So there you go. Uh, what we'll do is, I know we already prayed, but I'm in the habit of praying before these sorts of things. So we'll lift up our prayer and we'll jump right in. So let's pray. Uh, gracious God, we thank you. Uh, Lord, thank you for bringing us here and just the excitement of being at the gathering. And Lord, we ask that you'd be present now. I mean, you've promised to be a real present God. And you say, when we gather in your name, there you are. Uh, so Lord, we call you up on that promise and ask that you be present among us. Uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can uh, see you clearly and so that we can be uh, clear in our uh, confession of you and, and how we live out our faith in you. We pray this all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here's what I want to do. I've got four options up here for you. Option one, option two, option three, and option four. What I want you to do is pick one of those at random. Don't everybody pick the Bible verse to show how pious you are. Uh, pick one of those at random. Load it up in your head as to uh, what you're going to read. And when I say go, you are going to read it all out loud at the exact same time, all right? Go. That's exactly what I thought was going to happen. That was chaos. Uh, that was, was confusion. Uh, that was a cacophony. One of my favorite words in the English language, a cacophony. Now, if, if, you, could, if you could hear the internet, that's what it would sound like. If you could hear the internet, that's what it would sound like. So if there was some way that we could make the internet audible and we could take every post, every comment, every picture, every video, every everything on the internet and make it audible so you could hear it, it would sound exactly like that. Everybody talking 
at the exact same time about something different, uh, hoping to be heard, but probably not being heard, and maybe talking louder over the person next to you to, to hear what you're saying and to hopefully be heard by somebody else. And that's what the internet sounds like. Uh, these things that you just read are from the internet. So I gotta tell you, I, I study the internet. Uh, I've spent the last six years researching the internet. Uh, I have a graduate degree from Michigan State University in digital rhetoric. And in that department, in that field, what we do is we study uh, computers and smartphones and digital technology. And we see how, how that interacts with communication and writing and, and, and discourse. So I studied that at Michigan State uh, for about four years, and then now I'm at uh, Concordia Seminary doing a PhD in this same area. So technology and theology and the internet and social media, how it all comes together. Uh, what that means is as I use social media, I'm constantly taking screenshots and saying, huh, that's interesting. I'm gonna save that for some of my research, some of my work. So all of these things up here are from my research and from screenshots that I've taken. Uh, I've made it anonymous, so you can't see who's who, except for Mr. Taco Watcher. Uh, you can see him, and he's on his own for anonymity. Uh, but I'm sure you've had this experience before where you're scrolling through social media, and it's just this weird assemblage of stuff. And it's like all over the place, completely random. So for instance, we have here somebody saying, uh, I've been good at controlling OCD behaviors for about, for about a week, but there's been this constant screaming in my head. And then you keep scrolling. And then you see this weird haiku from Mr. Taco Watcher. The first day of summer, the drive-thru may be open. Ask for taco sauce. And you keep scrolling. And you see, uh, reality is garbage, and I'd like a refund. Then you keep scrolling, and then you see somebody post this Bible verse, our theme verse for the National Youth Gathering. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Then you keep going, and then somebody says, I've been kicked out of my house, and I'm homeless. And you keep going. You see somebody say, is there any hope? And friends encourage by saying, nope, nah, nothing. And then somebody else posts and says, I'd like to announce that I'm uh, attending this school on a football scholarship and uh, this awesome thing has happened. And we just scroll through and we see all this randomness and we try to make sense of it. And, and I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I see these things and I say, what do I do with this? Do I contact that person or reach out to that person or give them a thumbs up and call it good? Or what, what do I do with this? So anyway, I've been studying this for six years and I've come to a conclusion, a, a grand conclusion, a, a big insight that I've had about the internet. It's kind of complicated, so I hope you keep up. The internet is weird. The internet is weird. Uh, it probably shouldn't have taken me a master's degree to figure this out. Um, this was not my thesis for my program, uh, but it's the point that I've come to, where I've realized this thing is weird. And we don't always realize the weirdness of it because it's everywhere and it's in our pockets and, and, and we're in it all the time. And so it makes us not see how weird it is, but it is weird. Uh, the comedian Aziz Ansari, uh, he puts it this way. I love this. He says about the internet, I feel like I'm on page one million of the worst book ever written. <laughs> okay, but as we're thinking about this thing that is the internet, 
We have to realize this is not just some impersonal technology that like fell from the sky. Okay, but there's this whole human side to the internet. And what I mean by that is this. People, real people, have, have built the infrastructure, the hardware and the software that is the internet. So people have made the technology that gives us the internet and the applications and all of these different things. Real people created these things and designed these things. And real people, you and me, are adding content to the internet. I mean, we're the, the human people that are posting things and liking things and sharing things and having these conversations. So it's not just this disembodied, impersonal technology, but there's a human side to it, okay? And we, we can't think about one without the other. There's the technology, but also the, the personal side, the human side. So the internet and humanity, these, th these things go together. Uh, humanity reflects the internet, and the internet reflects humanity. The internet reflects humanity, humanity reflects the internet. They, they, they go together, they mirror one another, okay? And so what we see on the internet is a direct relationship to what's present in humanity. And what's present in humanity, we see it on the internet. So if there's racism within us, it's gonna spill out on the internet. And if there's hurt on the internet, that tells me that there's hurt within individual lives and people's lives. Okay, so these things go together. Uh, Jesus talked about what I'm saying here. Uh, Jesus didn't talk about the internet, as far as I know, uh, but uh, he does say this. Jesus says, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So Jesus is saying that what's within you has a direct connection to what comes out of you. And the things that you say and do and produce reveal something about your inner spiritual state of being. What's within is reflected in what's without and things like that. Uh, who you are has a direct relationship on what you do. Okay, uh, we could paraphrase what Jesus says here by saying this, sinners gonna sin, okay? And good fruit or good tree gonna produce good fruit, okay? These things go together. It's not really that complicated either. Uh, there was a really interesting court case about this a couple years ago uh, involving some rappers and Taylor Swift and the accusation was made that she stole, uh, did a copyright infringement on the, the phrase, haters gonna hate. And it went to court even, all right? And I love what the judge says. Um, leave it to a judge to settle a dispute about hip hop. Uh, the concept of actors acting in accordance with their essential nature is not at all creative. It's banal. So he goes on, he says, players gonna play, haters gonna hate. That's about the same thing as runners gonna run, drummers gonna drum, swimmers gonna swim. Can you just see the judge like in the chamber, like writing these things like runners gonna run, swimmers gonna swim. Uh, yeah, but anyway, what, what Jesus is saying is basically this exact same thing, that, that, that who we are intrinsically 
plays itself out in our actions, in our words, in the world around us. Uh, so they all really just stole from Jesus. Uh, and he didn't do any copyright claim on them, but he's a nice guy, I guess. Uh, so anyway, uh, Jesus is talking about abundance. He says there's an abundance from within, and that plays itself out with an abundance in the world around us. Uh, and I'm absolutely convinced that our world has an abundance of confusion. That if, if you had to say, describe the world today with one word, for me, that one word to describe modern life would be confusion. And if you were at the mass gathering last night, uh, the guy that was painting, the guy who was painting, the first word that he wrote was confused. And I got on my chair, I was like, yes, that's what I'm saying, yes. Uh, so it was really cool to see that, that, that I think other people agree with what I'm saying, that, that our world has a ton of confusion. Okay, and we see this confusion on the internet. So there's this recent debate or conversation about what's real news and what's fake news, or, or what's, what's a real picture, or what's a picture that's been doctored or edited, or, or what can you believe or what can you not believe on the internet, okay? And there's confusion about those things. What do I do with this? What do I, what do I believe? What do I trust? Where do I go to, to get something trustworthy on the internet? Uh, in our society, there's tons of confusion. I mean, we're swimming in a sea of confusion. So there's confusion about uh, gender and sexuality. There's confusion about uh, what's good or bad or right or wrong. There's confusion about when does life start and when can we stop life and all of these different things with confusion. There's confusion in our homes, in our relationships. I don't know you all, but I know you have a confusing relationship in your life because it's all of us. We all have some relationship that's kind of broken and twisted and messed up, and it, it's confusing to, to make sense of this. Uh, and we have confusion within us. I mean, if, if you ever ask the question, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Or, or what's this next chapter in my life? Or, or God, what's going on here? That's confusion. And this is just the sea that we're swimming in, confusion. So that word confusion, uh, it comes to us from Latin, and I'm just a geek, and I love to figure out the etymology of words and where they come from and, and things like that. Uh, it comes from Latin, and it means mingle together. Confusion is mingling two substances together. Okay? And the image that I love to use is this. Ink in water. And, and you drop a little drop of ink in water, and what happens? It expands, it, it literally gets confused, right? Going back to that, that Latin root, it gets confused. So that these two substances, pure, clean water and this ink, mingle and they merge. And then suddenly, as they are confused, you can't tell where does the water start and stop? Where's the pure, clean water? Where's the ink? Where does that start? Where does that stop? And which is which and what is what? And this is, in my mind, confusion. Confusion. Uh, and we see this confusion all around us, and I think it makes life really hard. So, how do we get here? How did we get here? Uh, and more importantly, how are we in the information age and this age of confusion? So, in your uh, smartphone, you have access 
to more information than the ancient library of Alexandria. Okay? They used to chain books to desks in the Middle Ages because they were so rare, so valuable, so hard to get that you couldn't just like use a library card to get it. You had to sit there in the desk to read it. And now in your pocket, you have all that information. So how do we have all this information and how are we more confused on the internet, socially, individually? How, how are we, how did we get here? Where'd this all come from? If you ask me, Genesis 3, verse 1, this is where confusion jams a door into creation, where we started this path to where we are now. Uh, if you know your context here, Genesis 3, this is uh, the serpent, Satan, in the garden. And he says this, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And that right there, that's confusion. Because there's this pure substance, this pure thing that is the word of God. God says, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. There's that pure thing. And where's the confusion? Where's the, 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 the drop of ink? Actually, I helped you out. I made it bold and like 20 sizes bigger. <laughs> actually, did God actually say that? Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian, he says this. He's kind of expanding on what, what the serpent's saying. He says, has God really said that? Have you understood God the Lord rightly here? Ought not another construction be put on his word? I have a friend of mine that, that his reaction, he always says, really? With that high-pitched voice, really? And the serpent says, really? Did God really say that? You sure? I'll stop talking to the falsetto for you. Uh, <laughs> okay, so that's where it starts. And what happens from there? It spreads. And confusion just goes everywhere, everywhere. And we see what was pure and what was clean and holy and right and good. is confused. And it happens really fast. Genesis 3, verse 10. Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Adam, who was personally, lovingly created by God, is now afraid of him. Then Genesis 3.12, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. So we see confusion between God and man. We see confusion between husband and wife, man and woman. We see confusion, Genesis 4. When they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Confusion within the family. So it just spreads, and it spreads, and it spreads, and it spreads. Uh, to use a theological term, it becomes a hot mess. <laughs> it becomes a hot mess. And it becomes a hot mess real fast. But God would not stand for that. Just, just let that sink in for a second. God would not stand for his good creation being a confused mess. God says, this is what we hear in scripture, that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So God's nature, uh, his heart, and his desire, and his will for you and for me is not to live in a confused mess. He's not a God of confusion. So what does God do? gets to work 
As soon as confusion and sin enters in, as, as it's still dripping from the mouth of Adam and Eve, salvation begins pouring out of the heart of God. And he begins this work of clearing confusion. So Genesis 3.15, God promises a Savior that will come and clear the confusion of sin. Right after sin comes in, right after confusion is unleashed, God says, no, I'm not going to stand for this. I'm going to send a Savior to undo this. Now Genesis 12, God makes a clear promise to Abraham, to all humanity through, or yeah, to, through, all, through Abraham. Uh, and, and realizing, think about uh, answers. We heard about that last night at the mass gathering, answers. And promises of God are answers. And God responding. And, and when God makes this promise through Abraham, he is our real present God. Uh, through the prophets, God makes his presence clear to his people. I'm sorry, through Exodus there. Uh, the presence of God with his people in the wilderness wanderings. Uh, and then through the prophets, God speaking these clear words of hope. I have a plan for you. People dwelling in darkness, you've seen a great light. So God's heart is one that comes into confusion and clears it. Clears it. And in no more vivid way does God do this than through Jesus Jesus is the culmination of God's promise to clear confusion. So Jesus, in his ministry, he comes in. He breaks into this world of sin and confusion, and he rubs elbows with sinners. And he steps foot into this broken world, so Jesus descends into this confusion. And what we see in his ministry is Jesus driving this stuff out, saying, no, this has no place in God's good creation. So Matthew 4, uh, the temptation of Jesus. What does he say? At the end he says, be gone, Satan. In other words, what he's saying, confusion, get out of here. Be gone. Matthew 8, uh, these lepers, diseased bodies. I mean, diseased, bodies that are not at ease, bodies that are disordered and, and, and broken. Jesus says, be clean. In other words, he's saying confusion of the body, confusion of, of, of health problems and illness. Go, be clean, be fixed, be right. Mark 4, Jesus says to a, a storm, be still. And these storms raging in our world. One of you said uh, chaos, I think. But the chaos of confusion in this world. Jesus says, be still. Be still. Uh, Mark 7. There's a man with uh, ears that are closed. He can't hear. He's deaf. And Jesus does this weird thing. But he puts his hands in the guy's ears. And he says, be opened. And he's saying again, confusion. Be gone. Get away. A John 20, Jesus visits his, his scared, anxious disciples in the upper room after his death and after his resurrection. And he says, peace be with you. And their hearts go from anxious and confused and warring within them. And Jesus says, peace, peace. And on the cross, this is what Jesus does. On the cross, Jesus nails all of these things. Sin, confusion, deceit, fake, death, lies, hate, shame, all of it. He nails it to the cross, covers it in his blood, throws it in the tomb. 
and proves his victory over it through the resurrection. This is the gospel. This is the good news. God coming to clear confusion. That's exactly what Jesus does, right? That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the resurrection. That this sin that comes into the world and causes this confusion is undone. It's reversed. It's, it's taken back through the cross and through the empty tomb. It's made right. Jesus comes to clear confusion. All right? That's good news. If you don't realize it, that's good news. But it gets even better. It's hard to imagine that getting better, but it gets even better. Because then Jesus says to you and to me, go with this message, with this clarity that you now have in me, go and be an agent of clarity in the world. Go out and bring clearness, bring clarity to confusion. So Jesus sends you and me through the call of the gospel, through the commissioning of our baptism, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He says, go into this world that is a mess and bring clarity. Speak clarity. Live clarity in sin, in confusion, in deceit, in a world that's fake, in a world that's false, in a world of shame and hate and lies. Bring clarity to confusion. I mean, what are some applications? How do we live this out? If Jesus has sent us with this good news to, to be clarifying agents, what do you do with this? How do you, how do you live this out? Uh, in the book, I talk about this. Uh, more Jesus. More Jesus. And, and I don't know if you're like me, but I'm a pastor, and, and I even struggle with this, where it's so much easier for me to talk about my church. It's easier for me to talk about potlucks, or my church's youth group, or the choir, or something like that, instead of talking about Jesus. Uh, the image that I like to use as I explain this to people uh, comes from this. All right, more cowbell, thankfully. Some of you know what I'm talking about here, all right? So this is from an SNL skit, and uh, if you've never seen it, your life is incomplete. Uh, and you need to go watch this as soon as you can. But it's uh, Will Ferrell and uh, Christopher Walken, and uh, they're in a recording studio, and they're recording an, a song, and uh, Will Ferrell is just going to town on the cowbell. And all of his bandmates are like, dude, <laughs> tone it down, man, tone it down. But then the producer comes out and says, I got a fever. The only prescription is more cowbell. So it keeps on coming back again and again saying, no, more cowbell, more cowbell. It's good, but it needs more cowbell. It just keeps on more and more and more of that, all right? This is for us, not cowbell, but as the people of Jesus, we need to be more Jesus. So what I mean by that is this. In your daily interactions with people at school or, or in your neighborhood, your sports teams or whatever it is, you can't assume they know who Jesus is. And you can't assume that they know what's in the Bible. You can't assume that they know what it means to be a Christian. So what I encourage people to, to be more about Jesus, a really practical way is to lead with Jesus. Lead with Jesus. Uh, if any of you are interested in writing, one of the things that you learn in, in writing uh, classes in journalism school is don't bury the lead. And what that means is this. If you have a story to tell, 
don't put the most important point at the end. Why? You might lose the reader by that point. So you start with the lead. It's called an inverted pyramid. The most important point comes at the beginning so that if you lose your readers by the end, it's okay because they got the point. So friends, what I would encourage you to do is more Jesus and lead with Jesus. I'll lead with Jesus. So as you talk to people, say the name Jesus. Find ways to bring the name of Jesus into the conversation. Instead of talking about your church or your youth group or, or the Bible in some vague sense, talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Uh, the other thing is this. More Jesus. We can do this on social media. And we need to rethink how we use social media. And I am the worst about this, all right? So I will speak to you as one who's really bad about it myself, but we are all about humble bragging on the internet, right? And we, we, we present these, these like curated, edited, uh, photoshopped versions of our lives that make it look like I got it all together. And I've got the perfect family, the perfect life, the perfect everything. It's really hard to talk about our need for Jesus when we present ourselves as being perfect. And so we need to rethink how we use social media on a personal level. Uh, and I don't mean we have to be like self-deprecating, like, woe is me, I'm a horrible, broken sinner. But just be honest and real that you are, in fact, a sinner in need of a savior. That is powerful in how disarming it is for other people. Because other people see that and they say, yeah, my life's kind of messed up too. Yeah, I've got some brokenness within me. And it generates this powerful conversation to talk about Jesus. All right, so more Jesus. Uh, the next one is this, own the truth. Own the truth. Uh, I'm sure you've heard this expression before, but truth claims. Truth claims. Okay, and truth claims are this, that, that there's not just uh, one truth out there, but, but people believe in all these different kinds of truths. So what's true for you isn't true for me, and that's the world that we're living in. That you have a truth claim, I have a truth claim, all that stuff. People look at us as followers of Jesus, and they say the truth claim that you are holding on to is outdated, old-fashioned, outmoded from a different time and place, okay? That's just kind of the reality of the world we live in. People say that, that the truth that we believe is old-fashioned. Uh, anyone know who this guy is? The mustache should be a giveaway. Friedrich Nietzsche, a guy named Friedrich Nietzsche. He's known for his mustache. Uh, but he's not only known for his mustache, he was a very influential philosopher uh, in the 19th century. And uh, Nietzsche is uh, known for nihilism and, and all these different philosophical things, but he was pretty antagonistic against Christianity. Uh, Nietzsche says this, kind of cutting words. He says, when on a Sunday morning we hear the old bells ringing, we ask ourselves, is it possible all this for a Jew crucified 2,000 years ago who said he was God's son? Certainly. The Christian religion constitutes in our time a protruding bit of antiquity from the very remote ages. How ghostly all these things flit before us out of the grave of their primitive antiquity. He's one to believe that such things can still be believed. Can you just imagine if Nietzsche came to the National Youth Gathering and saw this? <laughs> he would just be, how is this possible you believe this? Okay. 
But he's not the only one that, that, that sees the world like this. And he's not the only one that sees Christianity in this way. Uh, I've had this experience myself. I'll tell you real quick a, a story about this. So I was at the seminary, and I was speaking at a, a graduate conference, like an academic conference, okay? And it was in Utah, Salt Lake City. We were talking about that. Salt Lake City. And uh, I was talking to one of the other presenters. And he was an English professor from a university in California, and we're having a conversation talking about my paper and his paper and different uh, authors that were interested and things like that. And then the conversation shifts a bit. And he says, so where are you going to school? And I said, I'm going to Concordia Seminary. And he said, oh, interesting. So what are you doing there? And I said, well, I, I study theology. And he goes, huh, what are you going to do with that? Like, what's the point of your degree? And I said, well, I'm going to be a pastor. That's what I'm going to do with my degree. I'm going to be a pastor. And things got weird. <laughs> All right? This happens a lot. Uh, any pastors out there, you know how this goes. Uh, things got weird. He, like, took a step in really close, like, got into my, like, my space. And he started whispering. And he goes, so you're, you're a Christian? Oh, yeah. And I don't know why, but I started whispering. Because <laughs> it just felt right. <laughs> It's like we were having a moment. I said, yes. <laughs> and it was really obvious in that moment that he was like, huh, I didn't know you guys existed anymore. It was obvious. Like, what on earth are you doing here at this academic conference? Why are you uh, thinking about things intellectually and rigorously? And what are you doing here if you're going to be a pastor and you're a Christian? It became really clear to me in that moment that, that he saw me as a Christianosaurus. I heard you guys once existed, but not anymore. Uh, and maybe you've had this experience in your school or, or somewhere else, or if you haven't yet, you will at some point have this experience where someone looks at you for, for the truth that you hold to, and they're going to say, huh, I didn't know people still believe that stuff. Uh, let me encourage you, own the truth. We have the truth. Own that truth. Don't be ashamed of it, but own that truth. Uh, three things about that. That means we have to know the truth. So we've got to be in God's word to know what we believe and why we believe it. And that's vitally important in this context in which we live in. So we know the truth. We study scripture. Uh, we can study the confessions of the church. Your small catechism, that's a great resource. And maybe you haven't dusted it off since, since uh, eighth grade confirmation, but there's great stuff there for helping us know the truth. But when we know the truth, we're compelled to speak the truth. So when we know God's good news, that he's come to clear confusion, that compels us to tell other people this good news. But your words have so much more gravity and weight when you live the truth. So as you're speaking this truth, then we live it out. You've heard, you know, actions and words and things like that. And uh, put your money where your mouth is and, and walk the walk and talk the talk. This is true for us. We know the truth. We speak the truth. We live the truth. The last thing that I want to encourage you to, to live this out is to learn apologetics. Learn apologetics. Uh, in my experience, I, I'm a pastor in a college town. A lot of times people, uh, individually or maybe societally, uh, but, but, but certainly in the popular culture, uh, depict Christians sort of like this. The scarecrow from the Wizard of Oz. 
Uh, we are blown around by the weakest intellectual argument. Uh, we are brainless believers, if I only had a brain, right? Uh, and our stuffing is constantly falling out everywhere we go, all right? Uh, and people think this about Christians, that we were brainless believers. It's not a new thing for people to say that. This has been going on since the earliest, earliest church that Christians are brainless believers. Let me show you this. Uh, maybe you've seen this before. Maybe you haven't. It's called the Alexamenos Graffito. Uh, it is old graffiti, <laughs> Old graffiti. I have a weird thing where I love really old graffiti, uh, and this is one of these things, uh, from about 200 AD, okay? So really old graffiti. Uh, it could have been scrawled on a bathroom wall at some Roman high school, who knows? But uh, 200 AD, uh, there it is. You can see it a little bit better in the, the, the relief. But uh, it says, Alexa Menos worships his God. Alexamenos worships his God. This is 200 AD. Uh, and to make it even more kind of amazing and fascinating, this might be one of the very first depictions of Jesus on the cross. So one of the oldest depictions that we have from antiquity of Jesus on the cross, it might be this. It's probably not the first one, but it's up there in the top five or so of the oldest depictions of Jesus on the cross. Okay, Alexamenos, this chap right there, uh, he is worshiping his God. He's worshiping Jesus on the cross. But what do you notice about Jesus on this cross? Looks like a giraffe. I've heard people say he looks like a giraffe. I don't think he's a giraffe. Donkey. Ding, ding, ding. Donkey, yes. So whoever uh, scrawled this graffiti on the wall was clearly making fun of Aleximenos for worshiping his God. And he's saying Aleximenos worships a... Donkey, you can substitute a three-letter word in there if you'd like. Yes, okay? So this is the world that Christianity has always been in, that we are brainless believers, uh, easily tricked into worshiping that. So apologetics, what apologetics is, is simply giving a defense of the faith, okay? So it comes way back to the ancient Roman uh, legal system, and, and an accusation is made, and then you're allowed to make an apologia, a response, a defense, to, to respond to what the person has said against you, okay? So that's what apologetics is. It's simply defending the faith. Uh, the three things I want to encourage you in this, read expansively. So if you're interested in apologetics, read expansively. First of all, read scripture deeply and expansively. Know your Bible well. That's the place where we start with apologetics. Uh, know classic and contemporary apologetics books, okay? So find some apologetics books from the early church, from the, the classics throughout the ages, uh, and then also more contemporary ones, okay? Uh, the other one that I'd encourage you to do, read expansively on books that are against the Christian faith, okay? What, what accusations are people making? Uh, be cautious as you do this. Maybe read it with some other people and, and have this conversation, uh, but it's a powerful thing to say, yeah, what arguments are people making against following Jesus, Okay? Read expansively, go deep, but not everywhere. Go deep in one particular area. What are you interested in? Is it faith in science? Is it technology like, like me? Are you interested in the Bible and the reliability of scripture? In, in this sea of apologetics, just find one area to go deep on. And then lastly, be nice. 
be nice. Apologetics is not licensed to throw verbal rocks. Uh, if you find that people are avoiding you in conversation, if you find that you're losing friends and followers because of how you're uh, doing apologetics, you might be doing it wrong, okay? Be nice, be winsome. Do it with love and kindness and respect. All right, we have like flown through. Uh, what I do when I teach is I start out using punctuation, then I stop using punctuation, and just sprint ahead with no commas or periods. And... So the three takeaways, okay? If you're just waking up now, the three takeaways. <laughs> Jesus came to remove the confusion of sin. Sin injected confusion in the world. Jesus came to make it right, to take it back, to undo it. Jesus came to remove the confusion of sin. The world desperately needs the real love and forgiveness of God that is present in Jesus. Like I said in the beginning, if you see hurt on the internet, that's because people are hurting. And if you see confusion and, and hatred and sadness on those things, that's because those things are happening in human hearts. Okay, the world desperately needs this real love. And then finally, you bring clarity into this world of confusion when you live clearly Christian. 